awesome. Thank you, guys. And, dude, also wanted to welcome the next group from uh, Disaster Relief. So uh, good to have you all with us this morning, and uh, glad you all will be with us this week. So if you haven't gotten by there to shake their hands and welcome them, be sure to do that when services are over today. So be in prayer for them as they minister to our community this next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to this time of opening up your word and continuing our study in Philippians, Lord, as we seek the joy that comes only from knowing Jesus Christ, I pray that you would speak to us today. Reveal yourself to us. Reveal the joy that is everlasting. Lord, reveal to us Christ. Touch our hearts and our minds, Lord, as we seek joy and spiritual unity. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We are continuing our study, Discovering Joy. We're looking for joy. We're seeking to discover joy. Paul, as he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he writes all about joy. That's a big concern of his as he goes through this. We see that joy or rejoice repeated over and over and over again in this letter. So he is very concerned with joy, and he wants this church to know joy, to experience joy, true joy, not just the joy that comes from temporary things in this world, but he wants them to know and experience everlasting joy. And so his advice here, his words to them and to us, is to reveal that everlasting joy. So we look at that this morning, and this morning we look at uh, this, rejoice in spiritual unity. Rejoice in spiritual unity as we look at that in this passage today. So if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Amen. May the Lord have blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we began to look at this passage this morning, we see that Paul is calling us to to spiritual unity. Now, when we think about Paul calling us to spiritual unity, that kind of brings up some concerns there because as we look at this world, we live in a world of 
divisiveness, a world of division that becomes ever apparent as we just consider the, the political atmosphere that, that we are witnessing right now. I, I don't know if that we've ever seen such a divided field when it comes to, to politics. We see all of these people on, on very opposite ends, distant ends of the spectrum. And so we see these battles taking place in, in politics of our days. So we see this division in our society, but it's, it's nothing new. It's nothing that we haven't seen before. In fact, when we think about the, the history of the United States, we have a very divided past, don't we? We can remember back to the days of the Civil War when the United States was divided between the North and the South and we fought one another. We can look back to the division that took place back at the, the time of the Revolution where Britain and America was at odds with one another and they fought it out. Look throughout the history of the world and we see war after war after war, war after war. All of our history is marked by great wars, great division. And in the midst of all of this division, here Paul gives us this, this word calling us to spiritual unity. Is that even possible? Is spiritual unity even possible? Well, today we will see that it is possible. But it is only possible in Christ. So this is what we will see today. The impossible call upon the church to live in spiritual unity is made possible only through Christ. Let me say that again. The impossible call upon the church to live in spiritual unity is made possible only through Christ. Let's see how we find that in our passage this morning. First of all, as we consider that spiritual unity, that unity that we are called to, we, we notice, first of all, in our text this morning, the call to spiritual unity. The call to spiritual unity. Let's begin there. And we see that in that, for those first couple of verses. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Now, the command that we have in this passage, that imperative that Paul gives us is that word complete, complete, fill up, fill up my joy by being unified, Paul is saying. This is the command that he gives us, complete it, fill up my joy. And this is how you fill up my joy, by being unified, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul here is calling us to spiritual unity, to spiritual unity. That it is a command that he is giving to this church. 
It's not just a suggestion. It's not just an observation. But Paul is saying to them, this I command to you. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Complete my joy. Fill up my joy by being unified. Spiritually unified one with another. The first thing that we notice here as he's calling us to spiritual unity is that he's calling us to unity in disposition and intent. He is calling us to unity in disposition and intent, or you could say uh, unity in, in attitude. Unity in attitude and in intentions. Now, as we think about this, let me, let me point out first of all that Paul is not calling us to uniformity. He is not calling us to uniformity. When he says, be of one mind, he's not saying that we should all think the same thing. He's not saying that we should all dress the same way. He's not saying that we should all be interested in all the same activities. He's not looking for uniformity. He's looking for unity. Now, many throughout the ages have tried to, to take such texts as this and try to press for uniformity. One being, as we, we talked about wars, one that comes to mind, of course, was Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, he strove for uniformity. He wanted to, to create the perfect race where everyone was pretty much the same. They looked much like one another. They thought the same kind of thoughts. They lived the same kind of lifestyle. He was looking for uniformity. But Paul is not calling for uniformity. He's calling for unity. And the first type of unity that he calls for here is that unity in disposition and intent. Now, look at, look at the text again there. Where do I get this? As Paul tells us the command here, complete my joy, then he, he goes into this, this little, little saying here, this little phrase here, and, and the rest of the phrase here is in a structure that's called a, a chiastic structure. Now, a chiasm is, is kind of a, a sentence that's laid out in this way, A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A. So A, one thought, B, another thought, B, that same thought kind of repeated, and then returning back to A, that, that first thought again. And so when writers do this, they use this, this is a literary form that, that causes us to draw into what they're saying. They want us to see something there particular that, that they're trying to point out to us. And that's what Paul is doing here. Complete my joy. And this is how you complete my joy. By being of the same mind, of one mind. And again, Paul is not saying that you should think the same way in everything clarify that in everything we should think the same way about certain things as far as scripture goes but not not think the same thing in all things we're not to to have he's not talking about the the intellect here we're we're not all supposed to be uh, on the same level as far as intellect goes we we don't all have the same degrees uh, in higher education and, and so on and so forth I, my wife and I, we both have master's degrees, but they're, they're different. Hers is in the medical field. Mine is in divinity. Uh, we don't have the same background. We don't enjoy the same conversations. 
She enjoys talking medical uh, things to her medical friends, and I get lost in that. But that's okay. We can have that difference. That's, we're not called to the same, same kind of intellect, if you will. That's not what is in view here. What Paul has in view here is the attitude. It were to be unified in disposition, in attitude, the, the way we approach life. We are to have a disposition not of diverse, or not of division, but we're to have an attitude, a disposition of unity. That's to be our strive, our intent in life, our goal in life is to be unified together as the body of Christ in Christ. We're to strive towards unity always. That is to be our disposition, our attitude, and our intention as we strive together, as we work together as one body in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, he is calling for unity and mutual love and concern. So the, we have the attitude, but now, now here's how that works it out, how it works out. Unity and mutual love and concern, and that's the middle portion there, the B part. Having the same love, being in full accord, or being in harmony with one another. That is to have a mutual love for one another, a mutual concern for one another. As we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called, in fact, this is part of our mission statement, right? To love God, love one another, and love our world. That's what we, we're called to do. That's our mission in life as followers of Jesus Christ. We're called to have a mutual love and concern for one another. We're to love one another. We're to love one another, to, to seek the good of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and the good of the world when we extend it on beyond the walls of the church. We're to have this mutual love for one another and mutual concern for one another. We're to be unified together in attitude and love. This is not the only place that we find this, of course, in Scripture. Romans 12, uh, 10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another and showing honor. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Outdo one another. Not just love one another, but outdo one another in showing honor to one another. That's awesome. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That is our aim. Our aim is always to restore broken relationships. Our aim should always be to, to agree with one another, to find that common ground with one another, and live with one another in peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Boy, that makes us think about last, uh, our last sermon from this series. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond 
of peace. So we are called to spiritual unity, unity in disposition and intent, unity and mutual love and concern. So how then is all of this accomplished? How do we get there? How do we find this unity and discover this type of unity? It is accomplished through humility and selfless service. It is accomplished through humility and selfless service. Look at 3 and 4 there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. The way that we live in unity, in spiritual unity with one another, is through humility and selfless service to one another. Humility means to to lower yourself, to, to bring yourself low and putting others high. And as he goes on, and we'll look at this next week, our perfect example, of course, is Jesus Christ himself, who brought himself low. He who was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be used for his own advantage. But he humbled himself, emptying himself. He came to be a servant, being born in the likeness of man. That's what we're called to. We're to humble ourselves, to lower ourselves, to count ourselves as, as no regard. No matter where we are on the echo, the echo social line, right? No matter where we are in this world, we're to always think of ourselves as lowly, to bring ourselves low and exalt others, to put them in a place where we serve them as Jesus came even to serve us. We are to serve one another. We're never called to seek selfish ambition. We're always called to humble ourselves. Lower ourselves. So that we might become a slave to others. Serving others in Christ. Now, in our society, of course, this is seen not as a strength, but as a weakness. Humility is not a strength in our society. In our society, the strength is to build yourself up. But in the kingdom of God, it's to make yourself low. In our society, you're something if you have servants, people to wait on you. But in God's kingdom, it's an honor to serve others. So we are called to spiritual unity through humility and selfless service. Now, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day and was talking about this passage. Asked me what I was preaching through and this was coming up. So I, he, he told me, you know, one time I preached this, this passage 
And, and someone came up to me afterwards, a man came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, that's all great, preacher, but that's just uh, pie-in-the-sky utopianism. That's just pie-in-the-sky utopianism. That's, that may be the ideal, but that's not really reality. Is that true? Is Paul giving us this command to, to show us the ideal but not expect it to be the reality in the church? Absolutely not. It's a command for the church. It's a command for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We're to be like Christ. It means humbling ourselves and serving one another, putting other people's interests ahead of our own. This is not pie-in-the-sky utopianism, but we have to understand that, that that person is getting at a reality that makes a lot of people think just that. Well, that's the ideal, but that never really happens. See, because we all have this great problem, and that's the problem of sin. It's the problem of sin. And Paul understands that here. That's why he puts such great contrast in, in this passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but. That but is an alternative, and, and it's a strong but. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Paul understands that the problem of sin is here. There's this struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Our, our, our flesh, it, it wants to, to do things from selfish ambition and conceit. It wants to, to think of ourselves more significant than anybody else. That's what the flesh wants. You see, we have the problem of sin that curses us. Our natural disposition is not one of humility, but of conceit. Our natural disposition is one of conceit, of pride. It's to build ourselves up, to put ourselves on the pedestal. Not to humble ourselves. The natural disposition, our natural uh, intent is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition thinking more highly of ourselves than others, seeking my own interest above the interest of others. You see, that's our natural way. That's what comes natural to us. It's not humility. It's not selfless service. It's conceit. Selfish pride. Building ourselves up Seeking selfish ambition rather than the good of others. We see this throughout life. Humility in this world is not a virtue. Humility in this world is not a virtue. It's a weakness. Even think about as, as children, we play games that, that, that show that pride and conceit is to be re rejoiced over love more than humility. You ever play King of the Mountain? King of the Mountain works just that way. I'm king of the mountain. I'm up on top, and no one can push me off of my mountain. 
That's the way we live, and, and that starts as toddlers, and it goes on throughout our lives. We're, we're looking to put ourselves up. That's the human way. That's the human way. That's why it's so, it, it's, it's honorable in society if you have people waiting on you, not you waiting on others. Again, look at the, the political race that is going on right now. Who are the ones who are left? Was it the humble and meek ones? No. It's the proud. Look at me. Look how great I am. In our society, and in our own natural flesh, we have a great problem. We have a sin problem. And that sin problem, the natural position, the natural disposition of that sinful flesh is not humility and selfless service, but it is the, the, the disposition of conceit and selfish and ambition for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. So what then is the solution? If that's the problem, if, if that's where we are, we're all marred by that. In fact, it, when we look back at Adam and Eve, that's what happened to them. God gave them and blessed them, gave them the whole Garden of Eden and said, you just do this and you walk with me. Do this. Just live here and walk with me and fellowship with me. Just this one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's just one thing. Just don't do that. Because the day you do that, that day you'll surely die. And Satan come on. Did God really say? See, God, really, really what God, he, he doesn't want you to know is that on the day you eat of it, you become like him in knowing good and evil. And that pride began to build up. I can be like God. I can be like him. And they took and they ate because they wanted to build themselves up. And be like God. Sin is our greatest problem. So if sin is our problem, then how do we get back to that? How do we have spiritual unity? How do we realize spiritual unity? Well, the solution, of course, is life in Christ. The solution is life in Christ. Number one, it's possible we can have spiritual unity. It's possible because of heavenly citizenship. Because of our heavenly citizenship. Again, let's return to the text. Chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. That very first word shows us this. So, so if there is any encouragement in Christ. So, that, that word so, it could actually also be translated therefore. And if you've studied Scripture before, you, you may know this. If you see a therefore, you have to see what it's there for. And the way you see what it's there for is you look back to the previous verses leading up to that. This is an inference. It's, it's based upon what he is saying now is based upon what he just said Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. So what did he just say then? We go back to that last message 
from uh, 27, starting in verse 27 there, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is that main command that Paul is giving us, and everything else down through this letter is feeding out of this command. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word there, if you remember back to the last, last time that we looked at Philippians, you remember that let your manner of life be that that verb there means let your conduct be worthy of your citizenship this is a, a kind of a political term if you will that paul is using here let your conduct be let your your attitude let the way you live your life in the world be worthy of your citizenship and that citizenship to which he is looking is the heavenly citizenship worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's possible because of our citizenship in heaven. If we trust in Christ, if we believe in Christ, Christ frees us from the bondage of sin and death. He frees us from the power of sin so that we no longer have to live in pride and self-interest. But now in the power of Christ, we can live in humility and selflessly serve others. Romans, Romans chapter uh, 6, verses 17 through 23. Scripture says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawless a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now, so now, because you are in Christ, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Because of Christ, if we trust in Christ, put our faith in Christ, He frees us from the sin, the, the, the slavery to sin. The power that resurrected Christ from the grave is the same power that frees us. That's how we can do it. We know we can do it. Not because of our own will and our own might, but because of the might that blew Jesus out of the grave. It's that power. That same power that is given to us so that we can humble ourselves and serve one another, and live in spiritual unity as one body in Christ. Dear friend, if you're struggling, pride, conceit, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He will free you. So, it is possible 
because of heavenly citizenship. Second, it's possible because of participation in the Holy Spirit. It's possible because of participation in the Holy Spirit. Again, turn, return to the text. If there is any encouragement in Christ, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. There's an if then, if there's any participation in the Spirit, then complete my joy. It, that's what is required. We must have that participation of the Spirit because it is the, the, the Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the grave. It's the Holy Spirit that came and powered Jesus, brought him up out of the grave. It's the same power that he gives to us when we trust in him. Paul is pointing out that in Christ, when we are in him, when we have been born again from the death of sin and brought to life in Christ, we have a new spirit within us. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to be like Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that transforms us to be like Christ so that we can overcome pride and selfish interest and live in humility and selfless service to others. The solution is life in Christ. Because of our heavenly citizenship, Possible because of the participation in the Spirit. So we can. We can see spiritual unity in the body of Christ when we trust in the power of Jesus Christ. Now let me lay out quickly four applications to our text here. Four applications to live worthily. First, strive for spiritual unity. Strive for spiritual unity. As the body of Christ, we are called to spiritual unity. Therefore, First Baptist, Bastrop, Louisiana, let's strive together for spiritual unity with one another. Put away selfish interests. Put away conceit. And let us begin to strive together to build up this body in Christ working together, loving one another. Let us strive for spiritual unity, causing people to wonder. As people look in on us and see our unity, they should wonder, what in the world is going on down there? How can they get along with one another so well? How can they possibly love one another so much? People should wonder at our love for one another. Strive for spiritual unity. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. This is work to be done. But we must humble ourselves, bring ourselves low. When Satan whispers it in your ear, you deserve it, you deserve it, you deserve it. No. No, I deserve nothing. 
nothing. Only Christ is worthy. Humble yourself. Humble yourself and put others first. Put others first. Serve others. Serve others. Think about the needs of others far before you think about your own needs. You know, one of the things, that, one of the problems, I think, one of the reasons why we are so interested in, in serving ourselves and making sure our own needs are taken care of before we ever begin to serve others is because we don't trust God. We don't trust God. If we trust God, there's no problem of putting other people's needs before our own because we know God's going to take care of us. We need to learn to trust God. Jesus gives us this word, Matthew 10, 29, 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are more valuable than any sparrows. Don't worry about your own needs. Your Father who is in heaven will surely take care of your needs. Serve others. Put others first. Put the needs of others before your own. And finally, number four, raise your affections to Christ. Raise your affections to Christ as you consider these things, as you know your own depravity, as you know your own inability to serve others, as you know your own pride. Look to Christ. Allow that to raise your affections to Christ because you can't do it on your own. You can't humble yourself on your own. You can't serve others with pure love, godly love on your own. It's only accomplished in Christ and Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a free gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. For you are His workmanship. God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Whatever good works you accomplish in this earth, it's not because of the goodness of your little heart. It's because of the goodness of God and the Spirit of Christ that's at work in you. As you see your life transformed by the Gospel of Christ, lift your affections to see Christ more glorious. Give Him praise and honor. Do His holy name. We are called to unity, to be unified in spiritual unity in Christ. 
John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The impossible call upon the church to live in spiritual unity is made possible, but only through Christ. As we answer the call to spiritual unity, overcoming the problem of sin through the power of Christ in us, Christ will be glorified. Christ will be glorified. Just this week, as we were going out, or the past couple of weeks, as we were going out with Bill and some of the other disaster relief people, uh, someone asked Bill, Bill, why why are y'all here? Why are y'all coming down from Pennsylvania, all the way from Pennsylvania, down to Bastrop, Louisiana, to help our people in this community? And Bill said, because we're Christians. We're Christians and that's what we do. We're followers of Christ. Because of Christ, because of His work in us, we love one another and we love our world. When that person heard that they come down here because they're Christians, they stood in awe. When people see our love for one another, when people see our love for this world, the people of this world, it's not to build ourselves up, but it's to exalt Christ. We do it because of Him. We love because He first loved us. Give Christ the glory, O Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to this great calling of spiritual unity. Lord, and we know that this is not just pie in the sky, but this is your expectations upon us as followers of Jesus Christ. So that Christ may be lifted up and glorified above everything. And we thank you, God, as we trust in Christ, as we give our lives to Christ. We don't accomplish this in our own power, for we would never be able to accomplish it in our own power. But in the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit that lives within us, Lord, this can be Father, we ask you today, let it be. Let it be so of this body. Let it be so of of so many other bodies who are in Christ around us. So that the world may see us and give glory to Christ. Oh Lord, perhaps there are those here today who are struggling with pride because they still live in the body of flesh and do not know the power of the resurrected Christ. Oh Lord, work a work in them today. Bring life 
and light to their heart so that they may know Christ today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Lead us, brother. the Lord. Patricia, come on up. This morning, Patricia comes to us, and Patricia was baptized as a child, but has now given her life over to Christ. Amen. 
Patricia comes wishing to be baptized and join the, this fellowship of believers in the work of the gospel. What's the wish of this church? Amen. Amen. God bless you, Patricia. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand right here and let everybody come and love on you. Okay. Amen. Praise God for his work that he does in the hearts of his people. There's nothing else this morning. I do want to just say, if you're a first-time visitor here today, first-time guest, come back in the, the back of the sanctuary there, back in the, the foyer. Mary Beth and I would be there to, to greet you, and we would like to get to know you better. Uh, let's see, be sure you pray for our disaster relief guys and, and go by there and shake their hands. And then be back tonight as we continue our study on evangelism. So come back and join us tonight. Do I have somebody that's coming to... Dismiss us in prayer. All right. I'll pick somebody. Brother Tim, would you come? Dismiss us, brother. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for the words that you have shared today through your servant. Lord, may each one of us just ponder these words in our own hearts. Lord, on a daily basis, Let's just realize really what it means. And Lord, where we could ask you to help us change our lives in this direction. We thank you again. We ask you to continue to be with us, continue to guide us. Help us as we go out in our community that we will be community-minded with a godly heart. We ask all this in our precious name. Amen.